0: Love. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Welcome again today. Last week in July. Can you guys believe it? And uh, you know what that means. Kids go back to school. Can I get an amen? Just kidding. All right. Um, such Summer is such an exhausting, I mean, exciting time. And uh, you know what else it means? More hot weather for us, right? Like our seasons are like Yeah, our seasons are like literally like, uh, okay, I can't wait till the heat of summer is over so that I can experience the heat of fall. I mean, it's going to be awesome, right? Well, I'm glad you're here today. I love you guys, love you a lot, and pray God uses his word in your life in adoration of him, into knowledge of him, for some into even salvation today, I hope, and as an experience that you would experience the love of Christ and you would see him as Lord, as he is, that he would be high and lifted up, that you would respond in joyful worship to him and a desire to share in his love, and uh, that he would be wonderful to you as he is, and that you would share him as being wonderful even in our city. So let's grab our Bibles if you have them. Luke chapter 5 verses 12 through 16. If you got a Bible, Luke chapter 5 verses 12 through 16 is where we'll be today. 12 through 16, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we find ourselves in the narrative, right? The story, the documentary, the account of the life of Jesus Christ, right? That's what Luke describes as the purpose of, the, of this book in the beginning of the book. Look at Luke 1, 1 through 4, up on the screen. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, "...of these things that, I have, ac- that have been accomplished Im- um, among us, and just as fr- those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me." This is Luke writing, "...also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty." concerning the things that you have been taught. That's the purpose, that you would see the account have certainty of the things of Jesus Christ. We, in retrospect, say, well, no duh, we know it, right? But man, how good is it for us for a year straight to only be focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ? That's what the gospels really are, right? Listen, the gospels are full of instruction, the gospels are full of hope, the gospels are full of help, the gospels are full of healing, the gospels are full of miracles, but those are like simply the rays right? If you picture the sun, those are the rays. And the gospel writers intend to primarily direct us to the source, right? And so the purpose of all of these gospels is the same throughout each one. The same is true of all four gospels, as though you're getting like a 360 degree view um, that the purpose is that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God. He's fully man, a human being, right? Which came to live perfectly and die a sinner's death. He had to be man to die right for the sins of those who would believe look Hebrews 2 17 makes it clear on the screen therefore he had to be made like us like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people he had to become man he's fully man but also he is fully God always existing as a member of the Trinity, he's holy, he's divine, he's the son of God. Look at this. Colossians 2, 9 tells us, for in him, the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Like he is fully God and he is fully man, right? And Jesus himself said it, like you can authenticate yourself, Jesus does all the time. Jesus says himself, John 10, 30, I and the father are one, right? So he's fully God to satisfy the wrath and secure for us righteousness and life. And all throughout Luke so far, listen, he's been establishing the testimony of his humanity while establishing the testimony of his divinity. He indeed is the Son of God. And you see, listen, here's why it's so important. The law would require that two or three witnesses establish a testimony. Okay, the Jewish law would, would require that two or three witnesses establish a testimony. This is uh, uh, unanimous amongst all scholars, that this is part of what Luke is doing. Deuteronomy 19.15 shows us, Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now, this is established in the charge of a crime, but if applied to the validity of a testimony. And the people would know this. The people who are reading this gospel would know this truth. It's applied to this validity. They even try to discredit Jesus and his deity using this very same ground. Right, yet Jesus one-ups the one-uppers, right? Check this out, John 8, 12 through 18. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Like, you can't do that. Your testimony's not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, right? They're saying you need more witnesses in this. And he says, but even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from. I'm one of the witnesses and where I'm going. But you do not know where, I'm co- where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So he's saying, listen, I mean, listen, they start out by saying, hey, Jesus, uh, you don't have another witness about yourself. And Jesus says, not only do I have another witness, but like, just so you know, it's the infinite one who is the other witness, right? You're calling him a liar, okay? So listen, thus far Luke has been establishing testimony after testimony of Jesus as the holy divine son of God. That's the whole purpose. And Jesus begins to establish his ministry. As he begins to establish his ministry, he is displaying himself to be the Son of God through two main, two main ways, his preaching and his works, okay? Those are the two main ways in which he's establishing that, that people would believe. That's the whole point, that people would believe. And in believing that they would so re- receive eternal life, right? His offer of salvation um, to them. And so in our story today, listen, the work we find Jesus performing today reveals his deity once again, as he's been doing along the way in his ministry. And it reveals his deity in two particular ways, two particular ways his divine power and his divine mercy those are what we're going to see today right we've seen incredible things of him authenticating his divinity all across the spectrum in this book today we're going to see it through him in his namely in his divine power and his divine mercy two characteristics necessary for this divine son of god two characteristics that will be necessary For him to be the one who's actually able to provide salvation, right? Divine power and divine mercy, necessary. If he's the son of God who's going to provide salvation, if he's the Messiah, if he's the anointed one, he needs to have divine mercy and he needs to have divine power. Once again, for his people to believe that he possesses them as God and for him to offer them for salvation. So in Romans 1 16, look at this. Paul tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power. He's got the power in the gospel, right? There's power in the Blood. We got to sing that song, right? For salvation to everyone who believes. For salvation is possible through this man because he has the power to save. They got to know it. They got to see this. And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15 tells us this, look, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every respect and is in um, as we have been and yet is without sin, right? He's got mercy. He's got mercy for us. He knows our frame. He sees our, our our nature, and he's got mercy. Salvation is possible through this man because he has divine mercy and he has divine power. Jesus is showing that he is indeed the divine Messiah, the the Savior, the full Son of God through his power and his mercy. And listen, this people can find salvation in him. You can find salvation in him because he's the only one who has the full power to save. And he is the one who has the mercy to save. And so listen, as we dissect this passage, I want to pray that in light of his mercy and power, that you would come to him and find the willingness, the mercy, the grace, the compassion of the Savior who is merciful to save, who is waiting on you to come and to find ultimate healing, ultimate cleansing of all of your sin, sickness, and all of your shame in Him, that you would come to Him and find the mercy that only He possesses as the divine Son of God. You can't get mercy like this anywhere else. He's different, He's set apart, He's holy, He's distinct. And that in coming to him for mercy, you would find with it the power that he possesses—the power as the Son of God, ultimately found in who he is, in his also life, his death, his resurrection. Philippians three ten. You remember Paul says this: "That I might know him and what the power of his resurrection." That you would come to know Him as the Son of God and only find mercy that He is able to give. But not only mercy, but His ability, His power to break the power of penalty of your sin and shame. And I want to pray also that you would come believing in the Son of God, in this mercy and power, declaring Him to be truly God. And in this mercy and power, even maybe find, for some of you, salvation. But that His power and His mercy, listen, doesn't stop at salvation. For those of you who have experienced His salvation, Here's my prayer for you today, which is many of you in this room, is that you would come to him once again, the divine son of God, the greater one, and without hesitation, you would come to him and you would cry out to find his willingness, to find his mercy, to find his compassion and to find his power afresh. Listen, to bring healing, to bring cleansing, to bring restoration to the areas of your life that you need it. Listen, we all need restoration in areas of our life. That's not something unique to your particular life. We need it. We're sinful, right? We, 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 God knows our frame. So let me even ask you this question. How do you need Jesus to display his power in your life? That doesn't make much of you. That makes much of him because you need his power to be displayed in your life. It shows him to be the divine son of God who is unlike any other so that you can glorify him. Oh, that you listen, would call upon him to do what only he is able to do in your life. That's what what he calls us to do as he is the son of God, that you would glorify him as God, the son of God, as he does it. And let me ask you even another question. How do you need Jesus to display his great mercy, his divine mercy in your life? Where do you need his touching hand? Where do you need his willingness to work? Though you're dirty, though you're sick, where do you need his mercy to go beyond anything that you could ever ask for or hope for? To give even full restoration, even in areas that you might not think are possible that your life would glorify Him. Even restoration from all your shame. Let's pray. Let's ask God, His Spirit, to help us see Him as divine, the Holy Great One, who's got divine mercy, divine power, and that in believing you would specifically come to Him and find this mercy and power, uncommon, divine, greater, surpassing mercy, that only He possesses. And also in him find holy, distinct, superior, set-apart, unhindered ability and power. Let's pray and ask him to, to show us this, that we might cry out to this divine Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we know, Jesus, that you possess an ability, a power, a mercy, only characteristic of one who is divine, who is truly God, the Son of God. And you're displaying that today to us. You're displaying it to this people that you truly are divine. You are the son of God. There is no one like you. You are set apart. You are distinct. You are holy that they would believe in you and call upon your name as the only one who possesses divine mercy to save and to restore and is the only one who possesses divine power to save and restore. You are unlike anybody else in every single category. Your holiness defines all of your attributes. It is the defining attribute of your attributes. And so, God, we pray that we would see your holy mercy, and we pray that we would see your holy power, and that we would do nothing but cry out for it and share it with the lost world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 5, 12 through 16, y'all ready? Luke 5, 12 through 16, here we go. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when He saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, go and show yourself to the priest instead, and and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for proof to them. Excuse me. But now, even more report went out about him, and went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmity, uh, infirmities, but Jesus, he withdrew to a desolate place to pray. Listen, Jesus, the Son of God, okay, last week. The display of His divinity through Him being greater, greater teaching, greater work, greater leading and purpose, that you would believe, embrace the greater one. This week, Jesus, Son of God, displayed through His display of divine mercy, divine power, that you would believe He is set apart, He is the divine Son of God, possessing superior mercy and superior power, that you indeed would call upon Him to, def- to, to find this divine mercy and power. So listen, eyes on the text, ready? That you would understand and fall in love with the text. Two displays of divine mercy today. Two displays of divine power today. Number one, Jesus displays his divine mercy by touching the untouchable. What we see in this passage is that Jesus displays his divine mercy by touching the untouchable. That's what we see. We start out the story today, verse 12. Ready? We see it that while he, who's he? Well, he is Jesus. And while he, verse 12, was... In one of the cities, what city? Well, Luke doesn't use precision here in telling us the exact location, but we know back in verse 31 of chapter 4, if you even uh, scale up with your finger, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus was in Capernaum, a city of Galilee. In verse 38, we see that he left the synagogue and went to Peter's house, which was right next door to the synagogue, and so he was in the surrounding area healing others. Then in verse 43, if you go down, he says, I have to leave to preach the good news to the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And it tells of him, verse 44, going down to Judea, right? That's quick Bible drill, I know. But that sentence probably jumps ahead when it talks about him him being in Judea. How do we know that? It kind of probably just jumps ahead and then backtracks to to present-day reality. Why? Because in chapter 5, verse 1, we see that he's by the the lake of um, Gennesaret which a.k.a. is the Sea of Galilee, which is by Galilee, which is still near Capernaum. Okay, so we're, we're kind of going back there. I don't know why Luke is doing this to us, but uh, he's a physician, right? He's not a, a, a geography guy, um, although he knows what's going on here. So he leaves, listen, he leaves us to assume that as we make our way to verse 12, that Jesus is probably still near Capernaum at this point, okay? If you know on the map, it's, it's north uh, uh, of Jerusalem, it's up that coast, right? And so Luke sees no need to tell us the exact location. But listen, the fact, this is important, that he is in a city is key. And you'll find out why. Okay? So he tells us this for a reason. We know some of the disciples are now with him, right? He doesn't need any backup, but he's got it, right? Because we saw him call the disciples from the last passage. And as we saw them begin to follow him, verse 11, last verse of of last week, (coughs) verse 12, there came a man. Now, as Jesus is in this city, who's coming to Jesus? And the only description that we get of this man is that he's full of leprosy. It's the only description. There's no name. There's no family lineage. There's only one description of this man, that he's full of leprosy. Now, leprosy in biblical times was a name given to various diseases, some curable, some not. But not only was that one category, but the other category was leprosy proper, actual leprosy. In its worst form, it was the most dreaded disease. It was disfiguring, it was fatal. At this time, the only defense for leprosy was quarantine for those who had it. Isolation, away from others, Separation, segregation. The law stated, look at this in Leviticus 13, 46. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The law of God for Jews. So listen, this sufferer was forbidden to approach other people, especially to prevent accidental contact. This is a sickness. This is the context of it. It's a sickness. The term referred to skin disease. That's what leprosy is referring to, skin disease, literally. And leprosy proper was not merely extreme damage of the skin, but it was damage of the nerves. Listen, picture this. The eyes, extremely contagious, feared by everyone. And it started as a small spot. This is what leprosy did. It started as just a small spot. And that small spot ate away at the flesh until the sufferer was left with only the stump of a hand or a foot or a leg or an arm. Literally living death. And the physical effects, listen, of leprosy weren't the worst thing. The isolation that it brought was terrible. Banished from society, exiled from the home, But the isolation was not just societal. Listen, it was religious, especially among the Jews. The person would be considered ceremonially unclean, which is everything to the Jewish people. Leviticus 12, 13, 2-3, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons of the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin, and if the hair in the diseased area was turned white, the disease appears to be, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, and it. It is a case of, a le- of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he, sh- he shall pronounce him, excuse me, unclean, Ceremonial un- uh, ceremonially unclean. So your body is being eaten away at. You're isolated from society. You're religiously unclean. And all of this amounting to possibly the worst part about leprosy, which was the psychological effect. Everywhere this person went, he was required to wear unclean attire. And they were to cry out, unclean, unclean. Everywhere he went, as though he was ringing a bell, look at this, Leviticus 13.45, the leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Everywhere he went, Listen, around everybody, around everyone, every person that he would ever encounter, everyone knew, everyone saw. Torn clothes, becoming an outfit, but more than an outfit, an identity. Why? Showing their skin. As to not cover up any portion of their skin. Lest the person try to cover up the growing disease. And at some point, maybe in early stages, it was possible to do so. The wounds were to be exposed so that everyone would see them. You can't try to cover this up. So even if you wanted to, for a little while, to save some respect for yourself, you can't cover this up. It's to be uncovered, exposed. The most shameful part of it, not even capable of being hidden. You hide your identity all the time. This man never could hide it. Not even capable of being hidden. They couldn't even pretend to gain respect from another person for an instant. Torn clothes for the person, becoming such a part of him that it almost characterized that they themselves were torn, literally and figuratively. Their hair, loose, no turban. No hat, no ball cap, exposed as pieces of the scalp were undoubtedly showing, from hair falling off, skin from the skull falling off, right? No hiding the patchy fade you got, being covered, unclean everywhere he went, Unclean, unclean, hair falling out, hair loose, scalp coming off, body eaten away, torn clothes, exposed. Everywhere he went, constantly telling others and telling himself the bleak truth about who he was. Talk about like preaching to yourself, right? Probably saying it so often that the one who really hated hearing it was probably himself. Right, He was the person saying it, and he was saying it about himself, making his own stomach hurt probably every time he said it from hearing his own voice, defining his own identity out loud, unclean. And he was sick in mind as well as in the body. The attitude towards a leprous person was different. It was associated with shame and horror. In some mysterious way, a sense of guilt. Although innocent, right? But just like when we acquire contagious troubles, from others even the sins of our past right a sense of self-guilt still comes although maybe we're innocent of contracting it shunned despised many taking their own lives hated by others and being hated oneself you get the picture and luke the physician is fitting that the only he's the only gospel writer That says that this man, verse 12, back to it, is full of leprosy. A medical term, right? Medical term. Can't get more full than full, right? When you're full, you're full. Worst case, most extreme, furthest along, an advanced case. Disease, irreversible. So everyone thought. And this man comes into the city. Listen, they were to remain outside, remember? Outside the camp. Luke tells us intentionally, although vaguely, that Jesus is in the city, purposefully. Remember this? And perhaps the reason for the vagueness of this, which city are you in? Is so the emphasis wouldn't be on the specific city or its societal or political situation at the time, but instead that the reader would simply notice Jesus is not on the outskirts. He is in the city, and the man full of leprosy comes into the city. This is to, to show us the most important thing is not what city he's in, because you would think, oh, Capernaum, okay, let me think about what's going on in Capernaum at the time. Here are the issues, here are the political issues, the societal issues, let me focus on that. The emphasis is not that, the emphasis is simply that he's in the city, and the man full of leprosy comes into the city to Jesus, showing his belief in who Jesus is, or at least because he's willing to break the law with what he's capable of doing. He comes and he's showing his desperation, right, by coming inside the city. He is so desperate that he's willing to be accursed, accused, in order to get to Jesus. And what Jesus is about to do, showing he doesn't emphasize the law here, but in the covenant, the law of love would overcome, outwork the work of. The law, and when he sees Jesus, verse 12, he falls on his face, listen, prostrating himself before him to speak to him, knowing his unworthiness, Jesus' worthiness to cry out, to beg, it says, verse 12. The unclean man makes a desperate request, and he says, Lord, verse 12, supernatural master of all, I got a request. I'm begging you. If you will, make me clean. And really what he says in the passage is, if you will, you can make me clean. More of a declaration than even really a question. Notice that? More of a declaration than a question. Because the declaration was the most important piece. You, only you have the power to make me clean. That was the declaration in every way possible. Sickness, mental health, societally, religiously. Notice, he doesn't even say heal me. He says you can make me clean. This is not just for healing. Or else he would say, you can heal me. He's saying, Jesus, you can make me clean. That incorporates all of the ways in which he was unclean. His mercy is far beyond a simple healing. It can extend into every recess of a man's life. If you will, if you would be so merciful, Jesus, if your mercy would extend to me, yes, even to me, I love the song, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. And in verse 13, Jesus responds here, and he shows one of the main points of this section. Jesus reaches out his hand, his holy hand, just imagine, and he touches him. Here, here, we find the main point of this. Jesus, he is not like any other, he is not normal, he is greater, he is divine, he is different, he is something else, he is set apart, he is holy, he is the son of God displayed in the fact that his love is superior. Jesus is displaying his superior mercy here as a testimony to his divinity. This touching is the key to this passage, to the key to this section. Because he's healed many people up until this point, displaying his divinity through healing. Like, what's different about this place? Well, this time, the testimony of, he, of what he does comes from a place that he is superior in his mercy. He's further reaching in his mercy shown simply yet profoundly by the touch that's the emphasis of this passage that's where we see that he is not showing his ability to heal once again although he can do it and he will show his power into it in touching he is showing his mercy that's the profound main issue of this section People would know this from this section, from this passage, from this reading, from this situation, that he indeed is different, right? People who are watching this would know he's different. He is different. There's something different about this man. His mercy is superior. His love is superior. His compassion is superior. This is a level of mercy that's only capable of God, right? And so this man who hadn't been touched in years, except maybe perhaps by other lepers, is touched by a superior mercy as a display of divinity. This touch, this is the, the main issue of this section. He can heal, no problem. But nobody on earth would touch this man. But Jesus is different. Jesus says in verse 13, I will. I will. Like what you want, you want healing, mercy, cleansing? I will. Mercy. Be cleaned. Not healed, clean. As we'll see Jesus give full restoration in a moment, the, the man, desperate, despised, unclean, shameful, as good as dead, Jesus willing, cleansing, touching. Jesus' divine mercy is displayed in this passage, showing him to be unlike anyone else. And I wonder, as we see this section, where in your life do you need such a mercy? When we despise ourselves, even. When our hearts are filled filled with sin and shame. Remember, let us remember that. In spite of all of it, Christ's hand is still stretched out. It's still stretched out. He is set apart. His mercy is set apart. Cry out to the Son of God. You don't define His mercy, neither do your limitations. Salvation wouldn't be possible without his great compassion and mercy, and it is. And if salvation, how much more his work in your life? He's willing. But this picture is not only of divine mercy, it's also of divine power. Divine power, right? The perfect combination for a dependent people upon God. The second thing we see, the first thing we see, Jesus displays his divine mercy by touching the untouchable. second thing that we see is Jesus displays his divine power by healing the unhealable. Jesus displays his divine power by healing the unhealable. As a divine son of God, listen, as we move on, we've walked through verse 12, 13. We're going to walk through them once again. As a divine son of God, Jesus' mercy is not without power to accomplish what his love sets out to do. So his love sets out to do something in his mercy, and yet his power backs it up, right? It's undeniable. Jesus is dealing with the unhealable here, incurable, right? Irrepressible, fatal. In society, in this category of sickness, there is no more powerful disease. No more, listen, powerful disease. No more powerful. To these people, the divine display of power is unmistakable. He is the son of God. One may say, well, listen, with modern medicine, we cured it. Why is he so powerful, right? We did it with modern medicine. Well, We're not divine. God made the resources for us to use medicine, so there's still power behind even him creating what he did for modern medicine. But Jesus doesn't use powers outside himself to heal this man. Think about this. Jesus doesn't use divine powers outside of himself to heal this man. He uses powers within himself. All the great things that he needs, that he is, is in himself. All he needs is he, himself, and him. That's it. Verse 12, look at it. The man declares this power, he declares it for us. You can, you are able, you have the power. Jesus touches, unnecessary for cleansing. Listen, this is unnecessary. That's how we know that the point of this touching is mercy. It's not the means by which Jesus healed because Jesus doesn't need to touch anybody to heal. Right, We know that throughout all the Gospels. In fact, Jesus doesn't even need to be anywhere near the sick. Look at this, Matthew 8, 6-8, verse 13. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come to heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Right? i got a messy home. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. And he said, go, right? Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at the very moment. So listen, in display of full power, Jesus said, verse 13, "Be clean, and at His word, immediately, the powerful disease rendered powerless." See that in verse 13. And at his word, immediately, the powerful disease that's been rendered powerless displays His divine mercy at divine power, at His word. Power, listen, that can only be attributed to God. God himself, who just like in the beginning, look at this, Genesis 1-3, right? And God said, and what happened? I mean, what didn't happen, right? Everything, with his word. These people know it. God is the one who speaks and makes things happen. Not a person. Jesus is the son of God, displaying through his divine power. And listen, church, I wonder how you need the son of God to display his divine power in your life. Cry out for his power. Believe in him who is holy and set apart. Glorify him as the son of God. And with it, cry out for mercy and cry out for power. The Lord's merciful and powerful response. Listen, he is not without mercy and without power to save you. And he is not without mercy and power to change you and to help you in your time of need. Number one, Jesus displays his divine mercy by touching the untouchable. Number two, Jesus displays his divine power by healing the unhealable. we learned that from verses 12 through 13 where it said while he was in one of the cities, we talked about that. There came a man full of leprosy. We talked about that. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. We talked about that. He calls him Lord. We talked about that. If you will, right? You can make me clean, this declaration. And Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches him. We talked about this, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, as we move to verses 14 through 15, we see one more mercy, one more power display. Number three, Jesus displays his mercy by restoring the unrestorable. I think I made up words for this uh, for these points, but. Back to mercy. Look at this. As we finish this out, Jesus doesn't only display his divine mercy through his willingness, through his touching, and through his healing of this clean man, but he does so in full restoration of this man. He does so by extending further into recesses of this man's life and heart that would go even further than people would expect Then you could even think it's possible he does so by offering full restoration to this man right full restoration not just healing cleansing complete cleansing okay verse 14 Jesus charges this man to tell no one it's unclear why but we know from he from his other times with other people he even commands the demoniacs right that we've seen in the previous weeks, to do the same. Jesus is strategic about revealing his identity, right? He's strategic about it, right? We've seen this in the previous weeks, right? Him do the same thing, perhaps even to prevent mere, like, popular enthusiasm from people, which shows, listen, that Jesus doesn't just value, or Jesus really doesn't value at all, um, the crowds. He values winning more disciples, right? Jesus shows us that he is about winning true disciples. He is not about the crowds, right? That's clear. Let me make a few stout, real disciples. I'm not going to worry about the crowds. Jesus was not too interested in those who wanted the products, but not the person. Instead, Jesus is displaying his even, and even in his own uh, perfection in his humanity that he abides by this law, showing that God is at work and Jesus in Jesus and commanding the man this, right? To show himself to the priest, verse 14, look at it, and make an offering for his cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them and to others. Show yourself to the priest for cleansing. Wait a second. For cleansing? I thought he was clean. But listen, Jesus in his mercy is not only going to heal the disease, he's going to restore this man's full identity. His societal identity, his personal identity, his psychological identity. Check this out, Leviticus 14, 1-9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law for the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. Somehow the skin disease that everyone thought was fatal is gone. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed, in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him, he who is to be cleansed, to live, cl- uh, two live clean birds and cedarwood and scarlet and yarn and hyssop, and the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds. An earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedarwood This is the the this is the sacrifice and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water, and then he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprous disease, then he shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird go into the open field. The bird gets to go, right? And he who is to be who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all of his hair, bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean, and after that may he may come into the camp, but live outside the tent for seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He might look funny, right? But he shall shave off all of his hair and then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and then he shall be clean. Listen, Jesus is showing his perfect humanity, is abiding by the law, upholding it, fulfilling his responsibility and telling this man what to do. But he is showing his divine intervention and mercy and wisdom in telling this person to go to the priest. People would be slow back to accept the leper. The priest would serve as an inspector, a validator right? For this man to be placed back in the community, in society, a proof, literally this was to be called a testimony. And it's a play on words. Because though it's the man's testimony, it would ultimately be a testimony of the Son of God, which is the same as our testimony. It's our testimony, but whose testimony is it really? This man would be far more than healed. Listen, he would be restored. Such mercy. Just listen, stay with me. We're almost done. Such mercy, such divine mercy. Jesus would uphold his word in more ways than one in speaking this cleansing and telling this man to go. Jesus is the perfect son of God. And he is the perfect son of man. He's not carried away by sinful desire for crowds, even as Satan tempted him in the desert. He is the perfect son of man by submitting to the law. But he is the divine son of God in displaying his superior mercy, willing to give full restoration. What this man might never think is possible. Listen, he sends this man, verse 14, to the priest as Moses commanded as we saw in Leviticus to go in to be declared clean that he might be restored fully into society his shame being taken away. Listen, I just plead with you. Cry out to Jesus and don't sell him short. Don't sell him short. Listen, church, listen to me. Don't sell him short. He's the son of God. His mercy is not like ours. It's greater. Cry out to him for full restoration. He provides it in salvation, full restoration in your relationship with God, but also in your life. And lest you think that this man is a man-centric plea, like, oh, cry out for full restoration, be careful. Be careful about saying that, because God is glorified by his mercy and his power being displayed in his restoration that he gives, beyond what anyone thinks is possible, especially beyond what we deserve, right? Right? It only makes much of his mercy. It only makes much of his love. And it's this constant benefactor, and we are the constant beneficiaries. And listen, lest you think you are some exception, lest you think that this man somehow deserved this great mercy because of his great posture, listen, let me just tell you this. This text clears this up for us. If you think like, oh, this man, he somehow deserved this because he came, he prostrated himself on the ground. This man is more worthy of the mercy than I would be of this mercy to be healed, to be cleansed, and even to be brought even to the extension of being fully restored. Like this man is somehow greater. Listen, the text clears that up for us fully because as we make our way through this 14 and 15 verse, listen, here's what happens. Look at what happens. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmaries. Listen, this man probably did go to the priest. But as Mark tells us about this story, Mark brings clarity. The reason why all the great crowds began to come once again was because this man disobeyed what Jesus told him to do right after he was cleansed. Right? Look at Mark 8. He, this man, went out, And began to talk freely. Like, Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. I just healed you. I just restored you back into society. I just displayed my divine power. I just displayed my divine mercy. I not only healed you, but I cleansed you, put you back into society. Full restoration. My mercy is beyond. My divine power is beyond. You can see that I am the son of God. And he goes out and talks freely, spreads the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was in a desolate place and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Like, thanks a lot, dude right? And listen, lest you be too quick to judge, how long was it after Jesus displayed his divine mercy and power in saving you, was it that you disobeyed him? How long after he displayed his divine mercy and his power in your life that you disobeyed him? Just like us. Instantly. This is mercy we're talking about. Number one, Jesus displays divine mercy by touching the untouchable. Number two, Jesus displays his divine power by healing the unhealable. Number three, Jesus displays his divine mercy by restoring the unrestorable. And number four, as we see and we close this out, simple, last verse, Jesus displays his divine power by drawing on the one who is always able. He displays divine power By drawing on the one who is always, constantly, 100% of the time, able. This is a display of where his power comes from. Last verse, although simple, shows even more of his divine power. Look at this. But he withdrew to a desolate place or desolate places and prayed. It shows his divine power. It shows his power to be divine as the sun. Power coming from his Father, also showing his humanity. But his divine power was divine because it was from God. He didn't reach to anywhere else for power. Jesus' ministry was unlike any others. It was characterized by prayer, reliance upon God the Father, determination to do his will. The power that Jesus possesses is indeed divine power because it's from God, he, though he himself is God. He's always able. His Father is always able. And so my prayer for you is that you would cry out for divine mercy and His willingness. His willingness to touch. His willingness to heal. His willingness to cleanse. His willingness to bring full restoration. And His power to do things that you might think are unfixable. And to receive this power from the One who is always able. Jesus is Son of God, he's full of divine mercy and divine power. Cry out for both. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and uh, God, I just pray that you'd use this. As you used it in my life in preparing, I pray, God, that we would be a people who cry out for the mercy that only you can give. We would cry out for the power that only you possess, because you are the divine Son of God. This only shows us more of who you are. And we love you for it. God, I pray, I pray with all of my heart that we would be a people who believe in you. We cry out for power and mercy for salvation and we cry out for power and mercy for you to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.